Welcome to Truman's Matrix. A podcast built around the craziest headlines around the world. A production of Digging Deeper Media, owned by Hale Multimedia. Where you don't know who's watching who, or who's controlling you. Love that intro. Yes. And let's see. I'm not sure if that music, I think that music was from our license mm-hmm. on Epidemic Sound. I think you're right. Yeah. But yep. uh, also want to thank Aberrant Music Group for sponsoring this program. And that's why you saw their logo there for just a moment while we were getting things pulled up. Aberrant Music Group doing some big things together. And we're looking forward to their music later on in the show. Yep. So for now, we're ready for Truman's Matrix. Now, Truman's Matrix is the craziest headlines in the world. The backward stuff. The stuff that just doesn't make any sense to us. (laughs) To us people with logical common sense. That's what it boils down to is things aren't right and you know it. Craziness. Yeah. Looney Tunes and... Anyway, retarded, mm-hmm. and if that offends you, then that's retarded. <laughs> I'm offended that you're offended that I'm offended. And that's retarded. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of retarded, top Biden health official. Mm. This is mm-hmm. one of those. Okay, so let's explain our headline here. All right? Let's, yes. Let's go back. We have to. Uh, all right. Our headline, or excuse me, not our headline, our title for tonight mm-hmm. Trans and Terrorists. Trans and terrorists. Welcome. They're welcome. Okay. Mm -hmm. Trans and terrorists. We're talking about transgender information tonight. A lot of transgender stuff. Okay. Uh, We believe that it's tearing apart our society. And not that we're judging people, but we are looking at the results. So let's take a look at what's going on here. One of those transgender people is... What's her name? Rachel Levine? Rachel Levine, yes. Almost. Sounds like a show. Mark Levine or Rachel Maddow, whatever, yeah. Top Biden health official says this, okay? Uh, Well, this is a a headline from something he, she said. That all pediatricians agree with castrating gender-confused children. Now, she didn't say those words directly, but let's read further. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. Put words in her mouth or anything in his or her mouth. In an interview with NPR, Levine, the first openly transgender individual in American history to serve in a Senate-confirmed position, said that the medical industry has reached a consensus on the value of gender-affirming care for transgender children. Okay, they've reached a consensus. That's important. Everybody is in agreement, right? Everybody agrees with this. Levine made the remarks ahead of a speech in Texas Saturday. Why well, Texas, they just always throw that in because they think that's going to be powerful, but there's a lot of messed up things in Texas, but they sure throw <laughs> that around a lot. Yeah. This was aimed at encouraging training physicians to promote that care to young transgender people is important. So, there's no argument among medical professionals, pediatricians. Now, I'm quoting here. Do you see the quote? I'll put mm-hmm. it up a little higher on the screen for you there. I'm quoting from Rachel, or Roger, or whatever her name was. <laughs> this is no argument among there is no argument among 
medical professionals, pediatricians, pediatric, endocrinologists, adolescent medicine physicians, adolescent psychiatrists, psychologists, etc., she says, about the value and the importance of gender-affirming care. Okay, so I can agree with that. I'm okay with that. It's important to give them care, but what kind of care are we talking about here? Gender-affirming care is a euphemism for treatments to facilitate the gender transition of an adult, such as the prescription of puberty blockers, hormone therapy, or sex reassignment surgery. Those treatments can leave a child sterile in adulthood and otherwise interfere with normal sexual development in the event they lose the desire to identify as their non-birth sex, which up to 80% of gender-questioning youth do, according to a study cited by the Florida's Health Department fact sheet. Mm-hmm. So we have the statistics, and the statistics are in, and it's not just about the numbers or the science. It's actually about the testimonials, right? Right. We have a lot of regret. This, this segment, you could kind of subtitle regret, mm-hmm. I think. Truman's mm-hmm. Matrix, the big regret. Because... We're regretting the people who, not we in this case, but those people who have gone through transgender transformation regret it. Yeah. And in our next half of our segment talking about terrorists, we do have that segment, right, from Project Veritas? Yeah, that's in in this as well, yes. Right. In that segment... We're going to talk about how the United States now regrets letting some terrorists into the country, or at least it would seem that they should regret I was going to say, or do they? Or do they? <laughs> right. You said it, or do they? <laughs> All right, so we do know that these ex-transgender men regret because we have their interviews. Okay, so Deanna Lorraine <clears throat> interviews two former transgender men who later detransitioned, sharing their riveting stories of what really happens when kids transition, go through hormones and surgeries. Okay, so the first one here is Walt Hayer. Walt Hayer um, is an 80-year-old. He went through gender reassignment surgery in April of 83. First, he was giddy for the fresh start, but hormones and sex change genital surgery couldn't solve the underlying issues driving his gender dysphoria. He detransitioned 25 years ago and learned the truth. Hormones and surgery may alter appearances, but nothing changes the immutable fact of your sex. So we're going to listen to this. First, we're going to dive into an amazing interview I did with a man named Walt Heyer. Walt Heyer is 80 years old, and he has been through, through all of this transgender agenda before it was even popular. And he spent many years as a woman. He transitioned. He spent years as a woman. And now he is out the other side. And he has a website and movement and book called Sex Change Regret. You can find his website at sexchangeregret.com to hear his full story. And I would encourage you to follow this man because he's brave and he's speaking out about this. And it's his mission in life to tell other parents uh, individuals and children that they should not change to the opposite sex because it's going to lead to a life of destruction. Walt Heyer, I live on the East Coast with the founder of website sexchangeregret.com about a dozen years ago because I was wondering if I was the only one that had gone through this um, nasty procedure and came out wondering if it was effective in helping people. And uh, since I put up the website, uh, I found uh, and had 
literally thousands of people contacting me and telling me they also regret it. So, um, uh, and, and then now I've written seven books and published uh, about 75 articles. Wow. Um, so um, it's a mess. Uh, it's, it's not effective in helping people. So you started off as a man once upon a time and then you transitioned into a woman and then you and spent some time as a woman and then you detransitioned back to a man, correct? Right. Okay, so at what age in your life did you think that you were a girl or you thought that you were transgender and you came across, across that word, that concept? Yeah, well, uh, it was 76 years ago. Okay. 1944. I'm oh, 80, wow. I'm 80 years old. And okay. There, there were no terms in those days. Right, that's, that's pretty, so, pretty innovative. So uh, my grandmother, when my dad would drop me off at her house, she was a seamstress and made women's clothing. That's the way she earned money. She lived in an old shack behind a junkyard, very, very poor family. Um, and so I was curious, um, I'd lean on her sewing machine as she made clothing. And, you know, she decided she would make me a purple chiffon evening dress. And so she made me a purple chiffon evening dress when I was four years old. Put, and she made it especially for me okay. and put me in it. And what we know now is that when you slip uh, a young boy into a girl's dress and affirm him and tell him how cute he is, you begin the process of psychological and emotional child abuse. And so this is what occurred. So once you start affirming a kid, who's only four years old, who has no concept of what the consequences are going to be, you realize that actually what she started was uh, something that evolved over a period of time until, uh, you know, I kept for two years, uh, I would be at her house, cross, she would cross-dress me, I'd run around in this purple dress, uh, and she would affirm me, tell me how cute I was. Well, she's planting these seeds of confusion and doubt and, and, uh, and so once I got that affirmation, which is very powerful, affirmation is like a drug. I mean, we, they talk about affirming people. Who doesn't want to be affirmed? I mean, it's like one of the most powerful cheesecakes in the world, right? I mean, we all want that uh, to feel affirmed and loved. So I took, I, I got that so much, but I didn't get it so much at home because they just saw me as the little scruffy kid, which was fine, but it was less affirming because I had a brother and there's a household. It's a normal family. You don't run around just affirming people. So I decided to take the purple dress home and so that I could feel that affirmation in secret. But my mom found the dress and then it opened up this can of worms because grandma told me to keep it a secret. And so then I couldn't go to grandma's anymore, but it already had gone on for two and a half years. So the seed was well nurtured and planted. And so then this rift started between my family, my dad, mom, and my grandmother. And I realized that, you know, I kind of caused that because I broke the secret. But my dad was a part-time police officer, industrial goods salesman, and he was really confused by this whole thing and obviously very angry as he should have been. Um, I don't have any trouble understanding that he was angry and confused because this is only like, you know, 1946 or 47 by this time. And so um, he decided that in his way of thinking that the way to help me was to discipline me really heavily to sort of 
like a blacksmith taking a hot a hammer to hot iron is going to shape it, you know. And so he used a hardwood floor plank across my bare butt to discipline me. But that was just kind of additional abuse that was going on. And then when my dad's adopted brother, Uncle Fred, found out that I'd been wearing this purple dress, he began sexually molesting me. So now uh, by the time I'm eight or nine years old, I've been put in a purple dress, hit with a hardwood floor plank and sexually molested. So if we can understand that in the forties, no, I had no way, no context, no understanding of consequences or what was going on. I didn't understand anything except what had occurred to me. And so it was, I kind of kept it all inside and kept it a secret, but I was going around sneaking clothing and cross-dressing, even though the purple dress had disappeared. I was trying to get that affirmation back. It was, it was like I'd lost something. And so uh, as time went on, uh, I adopted a, a name, Crystal West. And about that time, um, it was Christine Jorgensen made headlines. And the first time I ever saw the word transgender, transsexual, whatever it was, they called Christine Jorgensen. And they said they'd performed sex change surgery on this Marine or soldier. And oh, wow. so I thought that must be me. That must be, that was my first time. This is probably 1953 to 55, somewhere in there. And so then I had a sort of a, an awakening as to what this was. And so as time went on, I'm still struggling with the dress, the physical abuse and the sexual abuse, not understanding that those things have severe consequences on our psyche, on our core as to who we are. But I was not homosexual, never was. I, I don't understand homosexuals. I, I just don't. I, it wasn't something that, that, uh, that I dealt with. But I, I had a girlfriend in high school, a beautiful girl named Lola Joy Phipps. I mean, who doesn't Lola. love? I mean, Lola, baby. Lola. I played on the football team as the kickers. So, you know, all outward appearances. I was kind of a cool guy with a cool girlfriend. Um, by the time I was 16, I had a cool car. And so, but inside was the purple dress, the hardwood floor plank, and the sexual abuse that had not been addressed. It was just working in my life. And so it wasn't long after high school, uh, I'm going to church. I met a girl at church, Sue, not quite as dramatic as Lola, but Sue. And so, um, you know, Sue and I got married. And um, by this time when we got married, I was working as a draftsman on the Polaris missile system eventually working on the Apollo space missions as associate design engineer in the area of cryogenics as I developed my career. And by this time we're having two children, uh, but I'm struggling with the purple dress, the hardwood floor plank and being sexually abused I had not had any way again of dealing with it. I was being successful in life from the outside, but I was still hurting inside from these issues. I eventually went to work for American Honda Motor Company, became a top executive for Honda. And um, it was then uh, in the late, uh, in my late thirties, I started going to um, one of those gender specialists in San Francisco. And he diagnosed me with gender dysphoria and told me that I needed hormone therapy and I needed to undergo gender reassignment surgery. And I told him about the sexual abuse, the physical abuse and, and, 
grandma cross-dressing me, but but they always look at this as gender dysphoria, no matter what. And it's supposed to go through this, quote, transitional period, which nobody ever transitions. It's a bogus word. And so I did the two-year stint, took the hormones, um, and then my wife and I divorced uh, in 1983. And I underwent gender reassignment surgery in 83 and came out the other side as Laura Jensen, female. I was terminated from Honda, uh, quickly went down the hill financially um, and ended up in a park in Long Beach, California, homeless and destitute, um, working, um, doing a lot of odd jobs um, for a long time. And went to a therapist who um, said, well, maybe what you need to do is, I've got a family up in San Francisco. The guy's a pastor. I've talked to him and he said he would like to have you come and live with his family and maybe he can help you. The guy had two PhDs, he's a very bright guy and he was a pastor. So he took me into his home and the journey toward recovery uh, started. But I was Laura Jensen at the time and, and in my book, um, a Transgender's Faith, it shows that whole journey that he writes about and how he met me at the front door and was amazed. And so we ended up, we still are good friends today, many years later. So so that, that journey started. And over time, um, I started going to church. Uh, I talked to the pastor. Is it okay for me as Laura Jensen to go to church? And he said, absolutely. He said, uh, we want you in the church. Uh, and so I started into recovery because I had really been dealing a lot with alcohol and drug addiction. And I started going into treatment center. I was in there for four months. And um, actually this a month from now, I will have 35 years sober. So that, and then he hooked me, hooked me up with a couple of psychologists through the church that would see me whenever I wanted to see me. Also, they gave me their home phone. I could call them and say, you know, I'm struggling. And so I had a lot of tremendous support from the pastor and from therapists who began to work through these processes with me. And so over a period of time, um, actually two or three years, it took for me to kind of work through these issues. And by 1990, I had detransitioned and accepted Jesus Christ. So I lived as Laura Jensen for eight years. And I realized at that point that um, my purpose in life was to make people aware that this is a very destructive thing to do, that people aren't helped by it. And the long-term consequences oftentimes are deadly. That's why you're 18 times more likely to commit suicide if you go through this. I I attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel like I'm on a life-saving mission to help people and to raise awareness, which is what I've been doing. And so uh, today, you know, I speak around the world. Uh, our website reaches 180 countries around the world, and I work with people all the time. Working with three clients right now, I have never charged anybody a dime for any of the work that I do. I do it for free. I went through my 401k to support what we do, and even in some cases, uh, pay for our own travel to go places. So we're saving lives um, all the time because uh, the people write and tell me, "Thank you so much." I'm detransitioning. I want my life back. And they tell me it's the biggest mistake of their life. And so what I have found is 100% of the time in the people that I can work with and talk to and spend time with, they can tell me the exact moment 
of what caused them to not like who they are and want to become someone else. And it's almost always sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, severe loss. And here's what's most interesting. In the, in the category of men, and over 90% of the men who identify as female are heterosexual men who suffer from things like autogynephilia, transvestic fetishes, and other issues. They're not really, quote, transgender. They just have psychological and emotional issues. On the other hand, females, all the ones I've worked with, all of them identify as transgender and lesbian, which is totally different than the men population, which only about 10% of the people I work with identify as homosexual and transgender. So there's a great difference in how the two women and men approach this issue. And many of the men who identify as a female will say they're lesbian because they're really heterosexual men who are still attracted to women. And so, you know, I always say that there is no such thing as transitioning. And the fact of the matter is there isn't one transgender or transsexual ever because nobody can change genders. It's all a myth. It's baloney. So when you say transgender is bogus, so even with all the surgeries, all the hormones and everything, if a man were to try to get all of that, you know, chop his penis off, turn it into a vagina, everything, at the other side, he, he still won't fully feel like a female? Oh, you know, ask this question. Can any man really feel like a female? How does he know what a female feels like? Right. Yeah. You, can't, you can't make that claim that he can feel what a biological female, that's total insanity. And I challenged my a surgeon and psychologist who approved me for surgery because I wanted to reverse my birth record because they changed it to female. I wanted it back to male. Took them mm -hmm. to court and I said, prove to the San Mateo County Superior Court that you can actually surgically, hormonally, and psychologically change a man into a woman. I just want that document in court to prove that you can do it. And they, they had to admit in court, in a document, the document, part of the document is in a Daily Signal article that I wrote. They had to admit that hormones and surgery do not change a man into a woman. You're still a man. Wow. And the closest that they can come to changing a man into a woman is in one category, they call it neuter, which means all they've done is rearranged your genitalia. So they, they say your inner morphology, which is what really comprises who you are, is, is totally unaffected by hormones and surgery. So surgery does not change you except cosmetically. So you appear as though you've changed. Hormones only affect your skin tissue and some other developmental things, but they don't change your biology, you're still a man. And so scientifically, you're still a man appearing to be a woman. So true. He's pretty wise. I mean, he's been through it. He has helped thousands of others in their journey back to truth. His ministry website can be found at sexchangeregret.com. He has helped so many people. And he wrote a book about 30 specific cases. But um, he has even more. You know, he said he could have put hundreds in him. So we have another guy who also has um, done an interview with Miss um, DeWitt. Uh, Kevin, Kevin Witt 
is uh, described his experience living as a woman for 20 years and how it led to his involvement in prostitution, drug abuse, and alcoholism. It's not a healthy lifestyle at all, he says. I was raised in a very dysfunctional home, a broken home where my father was never around, he recounted, noting that when his father was around, he was physically, verbally, and sometimes sexually abusive. Uh, I never felt like I measured up. I never was manly enough, he continued. Kevin Witt, welcome to Shots Fired with Deanna Lorraine. This is a man who has such a testimony. He started off transgender and gay. Then he found God and now he is straight and no longer transgender. And he's a great person to ask to talk to and weigh in on a lot of these current event issues. So Kevin, thanks so much for joining Shots Fired. How are you doing today? I am good. Thank you so much for having me, Deanna. Absolutely. So if people don't know your background story, tell us a little bit about how you came to be where you are right now. Sure. Well, I, um, like you said, <laughs> I, I came out at 15 years old. I was very gender confused as a teenager. And um, first of all, I want to say, though, I was raised in an abusive home. So I was raised in a very dysfunctional home. I had an abusive father. He was physically, verbally, and sexually abusive. And so whenever I grew up in my later teens, I began developing um, confusion about my gender because I knew that I was a male, but I did not want to be anything like my father. Mm -hmm. And every male I had encountered in my life was just very abusive. So my role models were females. And so whenever I was um, 15 years old, I came out of the closet. And then about the age of 16, 17 years old, I started dressing up as a girl and living full time whenever I was 18. And um, I lived as a transsexual woman for most of my life, actually until just um, eight years ago. And um, whenever I was in the lifestyle, I had, I was a drag queen. I performed in nightclubs and I also unfortunately was an adult sex worker. So I was a prostitute, phone sex operator, webcam model, you name it, I did it. Wow. And, um, so I'm here to tell you that you will not ever experience happiness. Nothing that this world can provide will give you happiness. Happiness comes from within, and that comes from Jesus Christ. And whenever I found Jesus about eight years ago, that was when my life changed. And I began seeing who God created me to be. And whenever I learned my true identity in Christ and who he created me to be, that was when I began healing. And most of my gender dysphoria um, went away. Nowadays, my gender dysphoria is gone. It took over. It was a process, though. It didn't happen. And so, yes. So now I'm a pro-family activist. I, um, one of my main things that I do is I speak out against the indoctrination and the perversion that's happening in our school systems, teaching kids about comprehensive sex education when they're in the third grade. No child needs to know about that. And I speak out against um, pediatric gender transition as well. So you work for a, uh, a group called Mass Resistance in Texas, correct? Yes. 
All right. And and that's advocating for the same things, you know, taking this kind of BS indoctrination out of schools and out of our children. Look, what's normal in society is basic. They want to talk about science. Let's talk about science. Right. And basic science. And that is the fact that there is one woman and one man. Yeah. God did not create anything in between. Whenever And they try to say, oh, well, there's people that are intersex meaning that they were born with ambiguous genitalia. Still, even those conditions only happen to men and women. So the the idea that there is a third gender is just, it's not so. And so um, when we get down to the normalization of homosexuality, that is all straight out of the communist playbook. I mean, the communists planned this in 1963. And it says in the communist playbook to normalize homosexuality in all forms of degeneracy. Yes. And that is exactly what is happening now. So the idea that we have to normalize this abnormal behavior is ludicrous. I'm glad you brought that up. It is straight out of the communist playbook, and it's literally spelled out in and, and one of the communist tenets. If people actually cared to research a little bit or check out that communist manifesto, it's in there. It's in there for a reason, because they know that when they normalize the abnormal, um, then we're no longer a strong society, a strong and sane society. When people and children are confused about who the, the basic sense of self, their gender in the world, and they're confused about whether they're a man or a woman or both, uh, who they're attracted to, and they're thinking about sexual attraction at such a young age, you're going to corrupt this child. You're going to destroy this child. You're going to destroy their soul, their sense of self in the world. And then, of course, the more broken children there are in the world, the more that leads to a broken nation. Correct? Exactly. And that is what they want to do. You they're know, very intelligent. They're the, very manipulative. They're very diabolical. And it's it's like I'm always just banging my head against the wall saying, don't you see this, people? Don't you see this? Can't you see that the gay agenda, it's not about political correctness. Oh, you know, because I don't support gay gay enough commercials in the Super Bowl or Valentine's Day that makes me a homophobe. It's about, don't you see this bigger agenda that they're trying to break our country? They're trying to break our spirit. And and the fact that I'm even saying what I'm saying right now, it is not because I hate gay people. Right. I love gay people. I That's the community that I was a part of for over half of my life. Of course, I have love in my heart for the gay community. My best friend that I hang out with almost every day is gay. Mm-hmm. But whenever you start trying to force this sexuality on children, it's when I have a problem with it. Yeah. If they were all adults, hey, that do what you want to do if you're an adult. But when you're trying to teach in the third grade that there are 85 different genders, I have a problem with that. When you try to teach kids all about homosexuality and um, transsexuality, I have a problem with that. Kids are already confused enough. They don't need to be confused anymore. And so, yes, and like I was saying, it boils down to the Communist Manifesto. And this Communist Manifesto was a warning to the people of America. Right. In 1963, it was read into Congress. And I guess everybody thought they were conspiracy theorists then. And now, and nobody listened. Yeah. We, no they, one listened. People had a warning. 
We could have started doing something about this in 1963, but no one listened to the warning and look at the shape our country's in now. Now, I mean, it is just, I never even dreamed that I would be alive when we had vaccine mandates and all this stuff going on. It's just insane. Right. The the LGBT community wants to try to normalize homosexuality and and transgender, and it's just not normal. And so if, if we go back and we look at 1950, things were pretty, like, tame then, you know? Yeah, they were. They were. And people had, you know, traditional nuclear families. And exactly. They, they worked for the most part. And actually, many studies have shown that even women, with all their complaining, oh, men were so sexist back then, women were actually significantly measurably happier back then in the nuclear family, the traditional nuclear family, than now with all their heavy dose of feminism and doing whatever they want. I mean, it's funny how when we kind of get back to our natural instincts and natural roles in life, we tend to be happiest because we tend to be in sync with who we really are, who God made us to be. Exactly. You know, most of my life, deep down inside, all I wanted was to be a normal person. Mm. That was all I wanted. You know, I um, always felt abnormal. Yeah. And so that's the, one of the main reasons that I, I felt like I was such a feminine child that I had no other choice but to play into my femininity because mm. it was what was normal for me, natural for me. But whenever I learned about God and I learned who he was, I learned that the way that I am is just the way that God created me to be. Mm. And he didn't mean for me to be a woman. He meant for, meant for me to be me. And I might be a feminine man. It's okay, though. Mm -hmm. God created me to be this feminine man that I am. And that's what we have to start. Um, that's the message we have to start relaying to children. There's a lot of little boys that are feminine and little girls that more, might be more masculine. But it does not mean that you're weird or abnormal or trans. That's right. That's yep. such a good take from somebody who knows. Right, right. And he works with Mass Resistance. He's the assistant state director. And you can visit their website right there on, on that article. Yeah. Just click on the link there. He was talking about the indoctrination of our children. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me of a video. How about if we take a listen to that? Welcome to the world, baby boy. I'll paint you red and white and blue. The indoctrination starts as soon as you come out the womb. Pretty quick, we'll make you stupid with curriculums at school. And if the classroom doesn't do the trick, we'll make you watch the news. Pick your team, right or left. Take the red pill or the blue. You can vote, but even if you win, still everyone will lose. Don't forget to buy designer because Gucci makes you cool. We prioritize material belongings over truth. Get a job that you can't stand so you can buy some cans of food. Go overseas and die for freedom. There's some oil we can use. Our democracy exists so that you think that you can choose. But our algorithms make you do what we want you to do what's the problem you're depressed society has you confused we got medication for you that you'll probably abuse go get married to a lady who also don't have a clue and pump out a few babies that are just the same as you welcome to the system everyone's a victim doesn't matter if you're black or white it hates you all here inside the system violence is a symptom fighting for what's right but somehow everyone is wrong welcome to the system everyone's a victim doesn't matter if you're black or white it hates you all the system violence is a symptom fighting for what's right but somehow everyone is wrong 
Welcome to the world, baby girl. I paint you pink if that's okay. We'll encourage self-destruction through the music that you play. We divided all the men by trying politics and race. And honestly, it's working awesome. So for you, we'll do the same. Never teaching you to love yourself. Inject you full of hate. Objectify your sexuality. Then blame you for the rape. And weaponize the differences that make our men and women great. Then just to screw with you, erase the genders. Everyone's the same. We'll empower you with rights to vote and fight for equal pay. Then have the men turn into women and you'll fight for them again. But you thought you had it figured out, but everything has changed. Welcome to the system. Please enjoy your stay. Here's a Bible and a bottle of the cheapest booze we make. Find a man who can take care of you to fill the holes we made. Buy a house and settle down, fulfill your duty, procreate, and make a couple babies who will also do the same. Welcome to the system, everyone's a victim. Doesn't matter if you're black or white, it hates you all. Here inside the system, violence is a symptom. Fighting for what's right, but somehow everyone is wrong. Welcome to the system, everyone's a victim. Doesn't matter if you're black or white, it hates you all. Here inside the system, violence is a symptom. Fighting for what's right, but somehow everyone is wrong. Welcome to the world, everybody. I'ma paint you black and white. I'ma make you hate each other so that everyone will fight. I'ma give you our religion, let the righteous find the light. But I will also give you science to oppose the word of Christ. And I'ma give you borders, they're imaginary lines. If you cross them, go to war and win when everybody dies. And I'ma give you money that you'll value more than life. And let the 1% have everything while you fight to survive. And then I'll give you politics, I'll call it left and right. And while you divide yourselves, I will conquer both the sides. Can't you see? I'm the system, my whole purpose is divide. What you choose will never matter because everything Everything is mine. Welcome to the system, everyone's a victim. Doesn't matter if you're black or white, it hates you all. Here inside the system, violence is a symptom. Fighting for what's right, but somehow everyone is wrong. Welcome to the system, everyone's a victim. Doesn't matter if you're black or white, it hates you all. Here inside the system, violence is a symptom. Fighting for what's right, but somehow everyone is wrong. Welcome to the system, everyone's a victim. Doesn't matter if you're black or white, it hates you all. Here inside the system, violence is a symptom Fighting for what's right, but somehow everyone is wrong Alright, that is Tom McDonald, HangoverGang.com I wanted to get that message in so you know that it's HangoverGang.com That's where you get that music from Tom McDonald Nice Tom McDonald's newest song just landed today, just 12 hours ago Not even 12 hours ago and it is called The System. Mm-hmm. Talking about the indoctrination of our children. That's how they're indoctrinating our children, according to Tom. And there's more craziness in The Matrix. The System. In The System. <laughs> Let's get back to our Truman's Matrix headlines here. And another half of that Matrix is the terrorists that they're letting in. You pulled up a report here from Project Veritas, Project Veritas, yes. What do you have, Andy? Okay, so a source inside the federal government reveals suspected and known terrorists walking freely in the United States following Biden administration's pullout of Afghanistan. Disastrously Uh, Afghanistan pullout. We did. It really was. It really was. And it was planned. It was. The specific points that this report covers... The records confirm numerous suspected terrorists are currently living through the country, many of whom have work visas, despite being flagged by the terrorist watch list for violent offenses like murder and using explosive devices. Project Veritas Veritas published redacted government records of suspected terrorists who fall under the Tier 1 threat level, which is labeled as armed and dangerous. Most of these individuals flagged by the Department of Homeland Security were admitted because of an initiative to shelter fleeing refugees called 
Operation Allies Welcome. Mm-hmm. The whistleblower inside the federal government has identified numerous case- cases. The suspected terrorists verified Project Veritas appeared to only be a small sample size. They also published never-before-seen video of the current director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration touting their efforts to expedite the adjudication process. So let's watch this video from Project Veritas real fast. A source inside the federal government has come forward to reveal suspected terrorists are roaming freely inside the United States following the Biden administration's exit strategy in Afghanistan and the government's initiative to shelter fleeing refugees, known as Operation Allies Welcome. I am so, so proud of what we were capable of doing and what we did in Operation Allies Welcome. We have evacuated nearly 28,000 people on both U.S. and coalition aircraft. We are conducting thorough scrutiny, security screening. Anyone arriving in the United States will have undergone a background check. The records we've obtained confirm these individuals as national security threats currently within our borders. Meet Anwar Halak Wahidi, who is classified as a Category 15 threat by the Department of Homeland Security for having used explosives or arms. Category 15 falls under the Tier 1 threat level, which is labeled as armed and dangerous. Documents further reveal he was only added to the terrorist watch list after already being admitted into the U.S. on October 17, 2021, under Operation Allies Welcome. Wahidi applied the next day for his two-year work visa and 10 days later, it was approved. Nazir Ahmad Rahimi entered the U.S. on August 24, 2021, flagged by DHS because he has engaged or is likely to engage in an unspecified violent terrorist act. Despite being apprehended by ICE while in the U.S., he has yet to be deported, and his last known address is in our nation's capital. Ismail Jarat arrived in the U.S. on August 31, 2021. Less than a month later, he was re-added to the terror watch list as a Category 15 for having used explosives or arms. Since then, his work visa has been approved. Tassanola Wafa Manazal was paroled into the U.S. on October 14, 2021. The next day, he was re-added to the terror watch list as a Category 7 threat if enters the U.S., and also approved for his two-year work visa. Iqbal Alakoze was arrested in Afghanistan on December 11, 2014 and charged with murder. But that didn't stop him from being paroled into the U.S. on August 25, 2021. Records indicate ICE dismissed his case, saying it, quote, does not meet ICE enforcement priorities, unquote. He remains in the U.S. and his work visa is pending. This doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Those we've investigated are just a small sample size, all of whom still remain within our borders. Our source inside the federal government has identified numerous cases involving people who pose national security risks. This begs the question, how could this be happening? I am so proud, so, so proud of what we were capable of doing and what we did in Operation Allies Welcome. Thousands of our Afghan allies paroled into the United States swiftly received employment authorization. We're also continuing to work with the State Department to improve the efficacy, integrity, security and transparency of the U.S. Refugee Admissions Program, which, as you know, was almost dismantled 
over the last four years. To date, Operation Allies Welcome has brought over 84,000 Afghan refugees into the United States. According to our source, known terrorists are also gaining access to the country through the southern border, as millions of people stream across unchecked every year. Our federal agencies are clearly aware of the crisis, yet seem to prioritize accelerated vetting over the security of Americans. This is only the beginning of our investigation. Stay tuned. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah, we'll always have more <laughs> from James O'Keefe. Right. Unless they kill him, and we're praying that doesn't happen. So this is Truman's Matrix, some of the craziest headlines. So that and more. Now we have, how about some earbuds that spy on your brain signals? <laughs> A Google spinoff called NextSense is working on a pair of earbuds that can record the electrical signals of the brain to study sleep and neurological conditions, according, according to Wired reports. While that may sound intrusive, the device could make studying the brain a whole lot simpler. The larger goal is to make capturing an EEG, which conventionally requires researcher to fix electrodes to the particular scalp, yeah, that person. Uh, much easier and convenient. In other words, they can virtually put these little diodes on your brain, I guess, by just having you put your earbuds on. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. isn't that convenient? Very convenient. Next Sense is looking to, br to bring its earbuds to partnering universities and drug companies. Of course, drug companies. Mm -hmm. The company is plant-wide drug companies. Hmm. Monitoring your health, I suppose. Yeah. Or your death. The company <laughs> is planning to submit its buds for FDA approval sometime this year. Mm-hmm. Great. Oh, and here we go. A subscriber-only <laughs> story. This is not disturbing at all. This is not disturbing. And the fact-checkers have already come out and said, oh, that's not true. But then you look uh, six months back in the news and it actually happened. So let's take a look at this. Blackstone... A not so good company mm. reaches a four point seven dollar billion dollar deal to buy Ancestry.com. Now, okay, fact checker said they did buy it. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, they but, didn't buy. But they didn't the buy DNA. the DNA, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, technically, they're right. They didn't buy the DNA; just the records of the DNA. Right. Right. So this link right here goes straight to Blackstone's own report that they purchased it, right? <laughs> the complete acquisition right there. Right? Right there. On the paper. Is your DNA data safe in Blackstone's hands? Hmm. Well, a study found that 95% would be enough to tempt most Americans away from their, to sign away their DNA data. Oh, $95. Yeah. It's right. 95 bucks for a DNA test? No, it's $95 to sell their DNA data to to a company. Most most Americans would be okay with just, yeah, you can have my DNA data. I don't care. People, it's part of you. Okay, so that's a survey. Right, that was just a survey. So but that article goes through the pros and cons of allowing your DNA out there. Okay. And the last thing. That we found. Green energy. Green energy. It's good, right? Oh. Those wind farms, you love them, right? Farmers, ranchers, what do you think? Farmers, do you think? ranchers, I don't think what they do you like think them about much. your wind farms? 
Mm-mm. Yeah, it's not good for the birds either. Wind right? farms introduce turbulence that destroys the smoothness, length, and distinctiveness of boundary layers between bodies of moist air and bodies of dry air, and they remove energy or harvest energy. Take a look at the maps that show an unusually high degree of correspondence between the location and timing of the drought with construction of wind farms, especially in Texas and California. Where's that map? Well, I had them in here, so I don't know why they're not showing, but if we go... I think you can click on that and get right to our map and see. So we'll see them in here. There they are. Okay. So here's the Texas Drought Monitor. Okay. Mm -hmm. That is the wind farm map right here. Okay. No. And now let's overlay them. And look at that. Look at all that drought area up here. Um, oh, the darkest area is the drought area, which mm-hmm. is basically the heaviest area. It's kind of a line there. Right. Interesting. It is. It's really interesting. So, I don't know. Um, it makes sense, especially when you see a picture like that. Whoa. You know, it, you can see that the clouds are actually... The clouds are sitting really low on mm-hmm. the landscape. Okay. And so you can see that the clouds are getting dissipated. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. causing a disturbance. Causing a disturbance. Yeah. Yep. yep. Changing weather patterns. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. So hmm. that's what's going on with that. So. Okay, I think that's going to. Is that going to close that's us out? That closes us out, yep. Truman's Matrix. All right, let's yep, yep, close yep. that out. All righty. And that's going to do it for this edition of Truman's Matrix, a podcast built around the craziest headlines around the world, a production of Digging Deeper Media, owned by Hale Multimedia. You can find Digging Deeper with Brian Hale on your favorite podcast network, or visit all of our podcasts under one roof at diggingdeeper.us. And one more thing. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.